Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, January 28th, 2024. Today's sermon will be about the dignity of man. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Within the past five years in New York, a law was passed that allows for abortion during all nine months of a woman's pregnancy, and for any reason. The law also expands abortion that even a child born alive in, in a botched procedure would not be protected. And I'm not sure that's, that's changed or not. Um, but that particular kind of law, and there are others throughout our states as well, but this removes, particularly with New York, abortion from New York's state criminal code. Meaning if a baby in utero were to die from um, an assault on a woman, there could be no severe prosecution on the person who did that. And uh, this bill was met with cheers and applauds in the gallery of the State Senate there in New York. When we think about North Carolina, we do not have this kind of law, but we we have laws that, that, that we would like to see changed to, to make abo- abortion not even legal to have. And, uh, but we don't have, them, have that kind of law here yet. But with all the states, with the falling of Roe versus Wade, um, there have been, there's been a big battle. And I guess you can go on and, and, and look and see and hear on the news. And, and some states are cracking down. The more less conservative states and the more conservative states are, 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 are doing the opposite um, and so we're seeing a lot of that and a lot of fighting going on. And we, <clears throat> and we know that behind all of that, in God's providence, He is working all of that out. But anyway, if we turn to the news about just the, the, the issue of abortion and lots of other issues, um, we know they are around. We are aware of these things. And so with this said, I, what I would like to do today, and that just jumping from abortion, but there's a lot of other things that I'll bring out today, and I'm going to preach a broader sermon. I want to give a biblical response on how we to think about such, such issues. And so instead of preaching a sermon on the sanctity of life, which I could do and probably will do in the certainly will do if God wills in the future, um, <clears throat> I would like to preach on something much more broad than the sanctity of life that actually goes beneath that and goes even deeper than the sanctity of life, and that is the dignity of mankind, or that is the value or the worth. And so what are you worth? What is your value as you sit here as a human being this morning and listen to this sermon in the sight of God? Well, in the midst of Job's suffering as he admittedly complained to God um, about what was going on, and he even wanted to die, he says these words. He says, What is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him? So God, why do you set your heart on mankind in such a way? In other words, what, why do you put so much value in man in general? And so with that in mind, this morning I have five truths. They're, they're not very long, but five truths. And then after that, I have five applications for us about the dignity of man. Here's the first one. A source of dignity, of worth, of value, 
is God our creator. We know the words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we move on from there, each part of creation, God says after each part, you know, remember what he says? This is good. It is good. And then, after he gets finished with everything with on the sixth day with creating man and woman, he, he says, after looking at all of his creation, he says, this is very good. That's Genesis, well, one there. But, but as you move through Genesis a little bit further, when he comes to the end of the creation of mankind, he says even more. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And this is where I really get the sermon from, okay? He says, God, we read that God created mankind in what? In his own image. And, and so, along with that, he says God created male and female. That's, that's another topic for another day, um, for sure, as our evil world is also degrading the, the, the value of, man and, of mankind by doing what we're doing in the sexual revolution that's going on today. So that's for another day. But above all of his creation, we, as God's, as man and woman, humans, humankind, we are special. A special dignity is given to us because we are created in God's image. And so without, and that's another sermon. What does that mean? Well, we are like God. At the least, we have to say that. So we share some qualities that, that God has. We can do some of the things that He can do. But also along with that, being created in the image of God, we are giving the, given the task of ruling the earth um, under His care, of course. Do you remember um, just, He says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and then have dominion over the entire earth, to rule over the entire earth as image bearers. That is what we are to do. From nothing has changed. That is what we are to do. And so <clears throat> any sin today against the image of God is a sin against dignity and ultimately is to sin against God. So the source of our dignity is God is our creator. That's one truth. Truth number two. The purpose of dignity is to bear the image of God. I've, just, I've already mentioned that. But Genesis 1.28. I'll, I'll just read it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So dignity... What does dignity mean? Dignity means to have worth or value. And since there is no greater value or worth than God Himself, we are given the responsibility, the task of spreading the image of God throughout the earth. Adam and Eve were given the most blessed job ever, and so have we, to reflect the image of God in the world. Now, I could go into the reason things are so bad is because of sin. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And instead of spreading the image of God perfectly as Adam and Eve were meant to do, we 
spread sin and death has come. And so we know that to be true. But just going back to just this dignity and this, this task. In the oldest book probably written, thinking about the book of Job, again, he says this concerning man and our task. What is man, God, that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? I think he is saying, God, why do you consider me? The wor- he even calls himself the worm of a man. He says, why do you consider us? Why have you given us dignity and worth and value? Well, it is because this dignity that God has given us, this worth, bears the image of God. And it's meant to bring glory, glory to God. In other words, when people look at your life, when you walk out of, out of here, and when you sit here, when you go to your places of work, and when you go to come to church, and when you go to the grocery store, and you go to your friends' houses, and you go to your you know, gatherings and family meetings, whatever you do, what we are supposed to do at our base is to bear the image of God and say to folks in the way we live our lives and the way we, the way we voice our words is to bear the image of God so that people say, there's a God. And so when people look at your life day after day and week after week, do you think, how do you think that is going? That's just a, a quick application for us. How is it going when, and so, being created in God's image, bearing His image, is meant to display His glory. And so, when we look out in this world, and we, the story I just gave about abortion, when we murder our children, or we sell our sons and daughters as slaves, we could, we could go into all kinds of issues with drug trafficking and person trafficking, whatever, all kinds of things. And we take part in the big business of pornography and do not esteem our fellow brothers and sisters through racism even, or when we neglect even the orphan or the widow or the homeless. What we do when we do these things against such people is, and, we, and we commit such sins is we scream out, there is no value in that person. And so we should start to think more about the value of even the other person who is not a Christian. And the, the ones who are doing these, committing these horrible things that I just mentioned, they're still created in the image of God. And when we disregard, or, we, or excuse me, when we sin in our disregard for the image of man, this attacks the glory of God and it attacks the dignity of man which bears the image of God. So that's number two. Second truth. Third truth. The dignity of man reflects the image of God, which is what I've just said, but the dignity of man reflects the image of God in this world through, here's my truth, love of neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbors. Religious leader once asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the best, the biggest commandment in the law? And first he says, Jesus says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we know this, and I repeat that in my preaching often. But then he didn't stop, and he continues, and we know this one as well. And a second like it. What is the second? You shall love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. Now it's interesting that the highest goal of man is to love God, to worship God. This means that we sing to Him when we gather. <clears throat> this means we honor Him in our hearts. This means we look forward to our times in our prayer closets. When we go there alone when nobody knows what is going on, we look forward to that. In that way, we worship. But at the same time, our worship is displayed practically as we love our neighbors. And when we do, when we love it, when you love your neighbor, the dignity of man is displayed as we reflect the image of God in us. And at the end of the day, it means to do good, I would say, to everyone. And who is our neighbor? Everyone is our neighbor. And we do good to them and we think, Jesus gives this principle in the New Testament. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Kids, look up here at me. This was probably, as a father, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, outside of loving Christ and loving God, biggest piece of advice, biggest piece of teaching, and you all know it. So when your kids come to you and they've, they've done something they shouldn't have done to their sibling or done something they shouldn't have done to their parents or whatever, then what do you sit down as a parent and really, at the end of the day, try to teach them? It's hard to just say, don't do that. Then you give them an answer as to why you don't do that. And we go to the golden rule. You know what? Did you like it that your sister hit you in the head? No. Well, then don't do it to them because you wouldn't like them to do that to you. And so that just moves on out from kids to every single one of us and makes it to, you know, everything that we do down to our marriages and to how parents, as we treat our kids, do unto others as you would have them do to you. This is just a form of loving your neighbor as being born in the image of God. And so, who is our neighbor? It is everyone. And I would be specific to, to this. The infant in the womb is our neighbor. Okay? The mother of the child who's getting ready to have an abortion is... Our neighbor, the homeless man or woman, is our neighbor. The man of, who has a different color skin than me or has a different makeup of size of body or something is my neighbor. The widow, the orphan, the homeless man, whatever we say here. The owner of the, the adult bookstore down the street is... My neighbor, my neighbor, even of those who oppose everything that I would ethically in a, from a political stance, that is my neighbor and that, these are also your neighbors. And as Christians, we manifest the dignity of every man when we bear the image of God in love towards our neighbors. And so I'll come back to some applications. I want to apply that now, but let's move on through this. Truth number four. The pinnacle of dignity, when you look at the, 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 the example, <clears throat> the pinnacle of dignity, is it, is, it, is it that perfect specimen of a man with the greatest body or the most beautiful woman you can see ever? Well, we might think, wow, you know, God made them in a specific way that brings glory to Him, but who is the pinnacle? 
of the dignity of man. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. God's proof for the dignity of man is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the incarnation, God taking on flesh, the incarnation of Christ is the point, the pinnacle, the highlight of dignity. So that God himself would take on flesh and become like you and become like me should say so much when it concerns to dignity and how he has created man in his own image. Christ is the image of God. He is the fullness of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And God took on flesh, God the Son. He was born of a virgin. His birth was just like any other birth. He grew like us. He was hungry. He was tired. The very same tests of life that come our way came his way. And in his flesh, he was just like you, just like me. However, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, he did not inherit the same, or did not inherit a sin nature that we have inherited from Adam, nor could he. In his motives and in his actions, what did he do? How did he act? In every way, he was supremely dignified. He never sinned. And so he was the perfect picture of dignity, of worth, and value. So when we look to any person, we look to Jesus as our example. He is the perfect man. He was true humanity. In all the ways that our father Adam, the first man, failed, Christ did not. In every way, Jesus fulfills the law. He loves God the Father perfectly, and He serves His fellow man, mankind, men and women, by doing good to His neighbor. So if you read the New Testament and you read the Gospels, what will you see? You'll never see Jesus not doing good to His neighbor. That's what He did. That's what He came to do, to love God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love His neighbor as Himself. He is the perfect example. <clears throat> And the greatest display of his service came as Mark 10.45 tells us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And he laid down his life as a sacrifice on a Roman cross. And by the way, that was the most undignified way of death at that time. And God received God looked down upon His sacrifice on the cross, and God received His sacrifice. Our sins, those who trust in Christ, our sins were punished in Him. And our lack of dignity, all of our failures to display the image of God that we have failed in, all, all the sins that we've committed were laid upon Christ. And God, in His death, poured out His wrath, His righteous wrath upon the Son in this sacrifice so that our dignity as Christians could be restored. That's why He came. And He rose again. He conquered death, proving there is no real dignity in death because death is the last enemy. And today, where is He? Well, He sits at the right hand of God, the Bible tells us, where He 
is always interceding for us and ruling. And one day he will return. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, if you want to, to know what is the true dignity, what is your true dignity, what is the true dignity that God requires, that God expects, look unto Jesus Christ. That's the fourth truth. Fifth truth. Last truth. And then we'll apply these things. The enemy of dignity is Satan and his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, sisters, this world is fighting. When we look out, we see this world fighting against dignity, the way that God created man. Satan has always been against man because we were created, are created how? In his image. And so he's not going after the animals who are not created in his image. He is going after Man, as Job would say, why do you honor and why do you put so much value on me? Satan and his hordes and his angels are going after dignity. And from one perspective, he fights against the dignity of all mankind. After all, he will fight against the pinnacle of all of God's creation. So all the sins... All the evils, all the atrocities I've mentioned are a direct assault on the dignity of man because all mankind are created in the image of God. Also, I must point out that Satan's attack is, is, is also clearly pointed at Christians. We, if you are a Christian here today, Satan's arrows are pointed at you and Christians in general and the church in, the gen- in general, we are the center of the line. Just read the book of Revelation in one sitting and, and take note of all the ways the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, etc. dispenses all of their artillery against the people of God. This means, practically, that the world in general is unified with a purpose against human dignity. The nations rage and plot Against, against God, against His anointed, and against His people. That's Psalm 2. Romans 1 speaks about this joint effort against God and His people. Starting in verse 28. Let me just read a few verses. Listen to these verses from Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decrees to be righteous, <clears throat> or though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the world in general, and this is the heart of sinful mankind coming out with Satan now also pointing against, trying to keep things evil, but pointing against God, His anointing, and His people. And though <clears throat> there are many ways the dignity of man is being attacked in this world, probably 
the two main areas of attack on the dignity of man in our culture, what would you say they would be? If you would say, what, what is happening, what are the biggest attacks to the dignity of man? Well, the hint should come at the beginning. Well, the killing of innocent children, abortion, murder, and then I guess if we had to say another way, big, huge deal that's going on is just how we are dealing with the, what you might call sexual revolution, but the, the exchange and the mix-up of gender, male, female, and everything that's going on in our culture, that would have to be another biggie. In both of those ways, the dignity of man is being degraded. And so, <clears throat> what are some applications for us? I've got five of them. First one, as God's children, we must care for the things that move the heart of God. Human dignity begins with God. He is holy and righteous and he commands, his commands to this world are clear to us. And he cares greatly for injustice in this world. And as his children, so must we. If the thought of murder in the womb does not cause great emotions um, and thoughts, particularly if you give some thought to it and not just let it pass by, but if you really give some thought to it, then I, I'm not sure that you've really ever read your Bibles. Um, when you think of racism, which really is just discrimination, it's just sinful discrimination, um, and, and, I, and our society's putting all these definitions upon that that are not biblical at all. But we should be upset when people are discriminated against. Whatever. Human trafficking. Neglect of orphans. Widows. And I don't preach on this. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon on it that comes out. But pornography, guys. And, and girls, to a lesser extent. But pornography. If degrades the dignity of women, particularly in men in cases as well, but it degrades the dignity of mankind. So if you are a Christian here today and it is your normal practice, I would question, I would question, where's your heart? Over a period of time. Now, that, that's a sin like any other sin, just like the sins we think in our heart. You know, that go on every day. It's not any different in that regard against the glory of God. But, but it, this is a big one that does degrade mankind. It does degrade women. I would say, if you are, then repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you and seek out counsel. Seek out help. But whatever you do, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it out. If you're right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Cut it off. So in other words, don't really do that, but if that's what's causing you to keep you from heaven, then absolutely do that. In other words, whatever's keeping you from the kingdom of God, and if it's pornography, and I would say to do whatever it takes, and may it not be, because it degrades the dignity of man and of women. Slew of others. But the, the, the application, back to it, as God's children, we must care for the things that move the heart of God. So if it is, and that's why it gets to us so bad, when, because we believe that life comes at conception, and we're not supposed to kill the innocent, the innocent, like not saying innocent, sinful, but those who cannot protect themselves, 
then that's why it's kind of normal for us to think that way. But we should think that way because these things... I mean, just thinking back on that issue alone, when we lived in Russia, I'm not so sure. You'd have to do your fact-checking here, but I, I don't think I'm too wrong on this. But this, was, this has been almost 20 years. It's been back 16 years now. But in Russia, every woman at the age of 40 had already had four abortions. So every, every, every girl you go and talk to on the street, that's the average. Um, and that's why they're having so many problems with their demographics, with their, they don't have any, any people that are, that are populating the country because of those issues for so many years. But <clears throat> these kinds of things should wake us up because God cares about such things. Application number two. This just follows... If we are moved by the heart of God in such issues that degrade or take away dignity, then we should, we should, have, we should be moved with action. It's interesting that right after Jesus instructs the religious leaders on the law about doing good to his neighbor, and so I think that they were taking, the religious leaders were taking action on a lot of things, but they weren't taking action on the things that moved the heart of God. And so Jesus gives them a parable. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. Now, by chance... A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii denari and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Please take care of him. And whatever more you spend to take care of him, I will repay you when I come back through again. And so Jesus says, Which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the religious leader did get it right. He said, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. We must practice what we preach and do our best to do so. And so I asked the question, what can we do? Well, we can pray. We must begin there. We must always pray. We can use every opportunity to speak with our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. We can give as a church, to organizations that promote the dignity of man in some of the areas that I have mentioned. We can get involved. If you want to go to the abortion clinic, there's those of us, maybe some are not here today. I know Weston has been. Um, I've only been once with Weston, but a few other times with other folks. There's a couple groups that are heavily involved in Charlotte. One is called Love Life, where you can get involved. A Num number of churches are where you go, and you basically just prayer walk and you see what's going on, and there's opportunities coming from that to get involved. There's another, <clears throat> another group called, um, it's, that, that's attempting to abolish 
abortion. In fact, Weston, the, the, there's a conference coming up that Weston's serving on the, 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 the leaders. Tanner, he's not here today. I don't see him, but he's been involved. Others have been involved with that group that we know that do some, some similar things. They're involved with the clinics just like Love Life, but they're focused more on legislation and trying to get laws changed that abolish abortion and do those kinds of things. In fact, there's a conference coming up on the 18th of April, and we'll be advertising that. So I'd love for some folks from here. I'm gonna, <clears throat> I know there's a, there's a big wedding going on that weekend, but we're going we're gonna to take care of that anyway. And so some of us might be able to go for part of that or all of that, so we're going to make that available. But there's a lot of things that we can do. We can, we can get involved with, with those, those types of things. We can get involved with soup kitchens. We can get involved with food pantries. Homeless shelters, abused women's shelter, victims of sex trafficking, on and on we can do. We can do our best to get rid of racism. All these things. Now, let, let me just say to, uh, before moving on there, about those things. Those are all secondary when it comes to the mission of the church. What is our mission? I preached on this a number of times. What does Jesus tell us to do? As you go, make disciples. And we do that through preaching the gospel and teaching them to obey all the things. So evangelism, and then within the church and within the, when people become Christians, what do we do? Teach them to obey. That is our mission. And so churches that just do the other things because it's some good thing, they're doing good, but we must do this first. And then we must also not leave those things out. What happens to churches that do the opposite? At the end of the day, they just end up being good, good churches that, that do education in hospitals and things like that, and then leave out the preaching and teaching. And so I, I, I don't think that's, that's certainly not the case here at Grace, and I pray that it will never be, but we must remember that. But we must get involved. And so one of the ways that we do that at Grace is we don't just get involved with every little thing because I'm sure if we go through the, con the congregation, God has put certain things on your heart, um, whether it's abortion ministry or whether it's trafficking or whether it's feeding the hungry or whether it's to get involved with <clears throat> with abolishing racism whatever it is there are a lot of things and through the years as elders we've often had people come to us and say the church needs to do this well so we've looked back and we've said okay God's put that on you and what are we as the body somebody's a finger somebody's a toe somebody's a heart someone's a head someone's ear so we should as a church get involved with those things that God is laying on your hearts to do, which one of those is, since I'm, we're, we're talking about abortion, abortion clinic, that's just one of those things. So we should get on board with someone who's laid on our heart, especially like Weston and others, with, with this issue, but we should also do the other things as well. But at the same time, <clears throat> those are not the things that define us as a church. What defines us is the gospel of Christ. At the end of the day, we are to hold on to the gospel, and all of these things flow out of the gospel. So I want to make sure I make that <clears throat> distinction this morning. Third application. <laughs> and this goes along with what I just said. I just probably just went through this. But as God's children, we must preach the gospel. We must preach life. 
The life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. We must tell sinners that Jesus saves. We must not simply live moral, ethical lives and do social justice and leave out the words. We must tell people. So this is the first part of our making disciples. When we think about our government, which is not very godly right now, and many of the governments in the world are not godly. In fact, most are not. But the government has the God-given task of bearing the sword. This means that the government should, must, and should promote justice, keep peace, sustain order, protect the dignity of life, I would argue, the sanctity of life itself, which shocks me why our government as a general just has, seems to be moving the other way of protecting the most innocent life that we can think of that has no say. So the government has the right to, and the God-given ability, God-given task of bearing the sword. Okay, that's the government. Well, what about the church? Well, as the church, we cannot bear the sword in the way that they can bear the sword. But we are given charge over, we could say this lack of a better term, the heart. The government cannot change the heart. But God changes the heart, and God gives us the ministry of reconciliation from Josiah's sermon. And so when we preach the gospel, the gospel came to you. You heard it. You believed it. You trusted Christ. And then all of a sudden, you are a different person. What was that? Did you change your heart? No. God changed your heart. That's what we do. And that's how eventually other things go. And the world is changed. And so Romans 1, 16... I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. May God help us not to be so meek and mild in our evangelism. And I'm praying that for myself. And I'm praying it greatly that I would be more bold and that you would be more bold. And I would, I would ask us by way of application that we would pray that prayer weekly. That if, if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, the boldness will never come unless your heart has changed. But if you are a Christian, pray for boldness. We're not all as bold as everybody. We're not all the best of evangelists. But we must pray that God will give us boldness. And let me say one more thing here along these lines as well. Concerning the unique death of Christ and justice. At the center of the gospel that we proclaim and as we worship God in the gospel, the center of the gospel stands the most unjust murder in the history of the world. That was the cross. Because this world put a sinless man on the cross. On, and, and that was the most unjust murder in the history of the universe. And so... The cross is not and was not a place of dignity. In fact, at that time, there couldn't have been a worse place for someone to die. There was no dignity in going there. And so when we think about it like that, think about what Jesus did as the pinnacle of dignity. came here to lay down his life 
on the Roman cross in the most undignified place so that you and me might have the image of God restored in us that we might have dignity. And so I wanted to mention that this morning. That is, that's probably the best news I will, that is the best news that I can share this morning. Let's move on. Two more applications. Number four, as God's children, we must always remember the grace of God in our lives. Um, you are here today because of the grace of God in your life. So if you were saved and you saw your life and I look at my own life and I see the race I was racing and the life I was heading down, the way I was going down that road, and then God comes through people who preach the word to me and then I was saved. Who do I give credit to? I must give credit to God and His grace. In other words, you're sitting here this morning because the grace of God's come to you. No other reason. And some people were much worse sinners than you and much less sinners that you have both received and not received the grace of God. And so at the end of the day, we are what we are because of the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. Paul says, I thank Him who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian today, that is you and that is, that is your prayer. That is our prayer. And that is our statement. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So where would any of us be without the grace of God? So we must remember this as we treat everyone with respect and with honor. With the kind of respect and honor that we would expect from them. From God Himself. This will mean that we will not be mean-spirited or angry in an unrighteous way. Even with those who for now may persecute us. I even, guys, try to be careful at how much I say against political opponents and think people that are also made in the image of God that are not Christians. And so we can sin. By now, we can also be righteously angry when we see what's going on in this world. But, and I don't know where that line is, how far we go. Weston, when, when you go to the abortion clinic and they're reviling you, and they're saying, how hard is it not to revile back? It, we must be kind. We must be respectful and treat them as, because at the end of the day, it will be God who saves them. We are just trying to be faithful. And so I would say to us, be careful in the, way, in the ways that we particularly get angry with other people and be kind. Um, you know, I, I could say lots here, but the, the Spirit blows where He wills. 
And there is mercy and grace to be found in the, in the great providence of God. So we must know that our real enemy is not another person, ever. If you've got enemies that are people, that it's not in the context of war, okay, then, then you've got the wrong enemy because Satan is our enemy. And so we must not have folks that we don't like who then become our enemies. Let it never be. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this flows into every area of our lives. Finally, this morning, last application. As God's children, we must expect great persecution and hardship. As we care about what God cares about, as we get involved physically in our communities and in the world, as we preach the gospel, particularly the gospel of Christ, persecutions will come. Satan and his children are at war against the dignity of man. And there will be no true rest until Christ has crushed all his enemies under his feet. And so, <clears throat> let me end with just some words. Jesus' words concerning persecution. He says this, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. That's Luke 21 and other places. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. This is to all of us, to all of his disciples. Remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So, with that in mind, I'm going to I'm just going to give us a moment of silence just to think about these words for just a minute. Then I'm going to pray together. And then I'm going to then I'm going to close our service a little bit differently today. We're going to do a congregational reading of Jude 24 and 25 as our way of, of closing. Um, I want us to, to start thinking more as a congregation in, in the next coming weeks too about what I preached last week with the patterns of worship. And uh, be thinking about and lots of ideas coming, you know, adoration and confession and petitions and instructions and how we receive the word and how we receive God's grace in the, in the ways that we meet. So I'm going to let's spend a moment in silence and I'll pray for us and then we'll close together by reading Jude 24 and 25. Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for today. I pray these words again would not fall on deaf ears, starting with mine and even, even your elders, that we would take these things to heart, that we would apply just the dignity of man created in your image. It applies to everything. And this is one tiny little sermon, tiny, just few words that I could say. It reaches to all the ways that sin falls short of your glory, whether that's children disobeying parents or husbands and wives being unrighteously angry with one another or whether we murder. All of these things fall short of your glory. And all of these things, Father, take away from the dignity 
that you've created us in and for. So therefore, as Christians, Father, today, we look unto Jesus Christ. We know He has covered our sins. The wrath of God is no longer upon us. And so we worship you today. And I pray that you would help us as we leave this place in a moment that these things might be put into practice. Most of all, give us great love for you and for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.